0: Welcome to another episode of the Product-Led Growth Fall Start series here in the Product-Led Podcast. Today, we have Kerry from Coda on the podcast. Carrie is a seasoned leader with experience in sales, growth, and customer success. She was kind enough to share her learnings after implementing a sales assist motion on top of their already successful product-led growth uh, motion, uh, or self-serve motion, I should say, at Coda. In this episode, she'll be sharing her insights uh, and learnings from the three iterations of this implementation, and she will be providing a playbook for companies looking to do the same. As usual, references will be added to the show notes, so sit back and enjoy this episode with uh, Carrie. Kerry, thank you so much for, for being here. It's a pleasure to learn from you and from your intense experience over the last months, maybe years. Um, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, Kerry, what, what got you into growth in the first place? Oh, that's a great question. Um,
1: so yeah, I have a, a very interesting background if you look at my LinkedIn. I started my career in sales. I was at Zendesk for about six years, started in sales and you know, Zendesk was kind of a hybrid enterprise sales mission, a little bit of like, you know, products led sales in, in there as well. We had, you know, a f- sort of freemium model in one of our products and and free trials and in another, but yeah, started my career in sales, um, and then I, I moved into sales management. I think I really loved being a sort of leader, being able to be sort of a pioneer and and help others be you know successful in their careers and grow. And after leading a team of you know account executives and sort of the SMB space, which was very much our sort of self serve space, so a lot of a lot of their efforts were geared towards you know converting free to paid, and then just driving more expansion within our existing um, paying accounts. I decided I wanted to sort of step out of the world of sales and, and get experience into just other aspects of the business. So I moved into more of a like business strategy and operations role. And while that was definitely different to my history of being in sales and customer facing, I learned so much just about kind of like running the business, uh, setting up processes and workflows and structures. And so I led business strategy and ops for our partner uh, sales organization, which is about 90 people. And that was just a great experience to really to see what it's like to kind of to really lead more than just a, a team of, of reps. And I'd say, you know, then I, you know, moved it moved over in Dakota. And it's really where, you know, I got kind of my closer start into being a part of the the PLG organization. And again, going in and, and building out a team and then learning how to sort of pivot and, um, and make changes there, I'd say. But I think even at Coda, I've I've almost you know gotten my PhD in growth uh, just from all of the all of the uh, so much that you know it's a, such a smaller organization where we're moving so fast, we're moving so quickly, or growing so quickly. And uh, but I think you know my my past history in sales and 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 then management, but then strategy and operations, and now kind of moving into to leading and and uh, a business segment at Coda has it's all. It's all kind of worked out very well. I think I've had lots of various elements pulled together to be where I am today.
0: Nice. And what is Coda and what is more or less the ideal customer profile, just for context of everything that you're going to share in a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Coda is a, I'd say I'll start with our ideal customer profile. I think really, you know, we, as a company, like we want to, you know, attract businesses that really want to, I'd say we really like customers that you want to be able to like be a pioneer within your organization and change the way of working and change the way of, of thinking. And um, so many companies are probably ingrained on, you know, Google Docs and Google Sheets and or Microsoft Word, maybe, um, you know, all these sort of older applications and tools and siloed tools that companies have been using for so much time. And we're really coming in and changing the way that companies operate and companies work. Um, so, you know, if you think about uh, you have a, a Google doc that you use for your one-on-one meeting notes and you share that with your direct report. Um, and then you run your team meeting on Google slides. I did this for many years at Zendesk. I had to create a new slide deck every single meeting. It was very, very time consuming. And then you send out your Google slide deck and these slides get you know, shared and then they get lost and they're like stuck in a Google drive and no one knows where to find it. Or you have a meeting doc and it's you know, not tied to any other the work that you're doing with that individual rep. And so you just happily siloed, docs all these siloed applications. Uh, we really pull all of that into one unified surface. So whether you are just running meeting notes or whether you are running a team meeting or you're building a playbook or you want to pull in uh, Salesforce reports because you want to put together an account plan for a customer that, you know, you're working with, we really pull all of these, these sort of sheets, docs and applications into one surface, um, you know, which, you know, makes it so much more, effective for all the teams that you're working with for all the individuals you're working with but it, again it it changes the way that that you're working it changes the way that you're thinking so if you are a change agent in your organization um if you you know really kind of see a, a new way of working and a new way of doing things like that that's those are the types of customers that we definitely gravitate towards we love working with because they they really see the future like they really see see the difference that
0: code is making I can totally see that because I've I've gone through a similar transformation as you as you're as you're describing. Good stuff, good stuff. So as you know, well, this is no surprise. This is about uh, failures, failed attempts, and um, and all of that good stuff where where we actually learn something with. I'd love to dig in and I know you have um, lots of experience layering sales on top of free and I'd love to know or the story that you are bringing here today how it all started and how you went about layering sales on top of the free tier at Coda.
1: Yeah so we've gone through several iterations of this and again lots of, of mistakes and failures that we've learned from that have really helped us and get to where we are now, and again, just continuing to learn and, and iterate uh, even today. Uh, but uh, I think you know, really, the the first sort of iteration of implementing a, a sales led motion on top of you know what was very much a you know product led emotion was we went pretty hard and heavy into uh, putting humans in front of every single customer and sort of. Utilizing this concept of what I now see as a human band-aid. And so we wanted to make sure that our customers were successful. We wanted to learn from our customers, which of course is, is everyone's goal. But users don't want to talk to, to people. Uh, they want to discover success within the product on their own. They want to explore it on their own. And we pretty much did everything we could to kind of flash in, in in moments in the product, flash in emails to our customers to like talk to a human, to get in front of a human, to have a conversation. And we felt that when we you know had our customers talk to our sort of initial uh, you know sort of salesy team, that we could then drive more revenue from them. We could get them into like an evaluation to really uh, you know evaluate Coda and get them into an enterprise plan and kind of all of this like traditional. Uh, sales led motion that we were just trying to layer on top of of this like PLG uh, motion, which just really wasn't working, and it didn't really work in a few ways. So first of all, you know, our team we had a, a small team of about four sales sales folks that were just getting so overwhelmed with the amount of bookings that people were were making because they had no other option. We we only gave them the option to like book time and talk to a human in order to actually use use Coda and actually like experience success with it. So the team got really overwhelmed. They were in like back-to-back meetings all day. But we quickly learned that our sales folks were getting on calls with these customers and the customers really just needed help with the product. They were just wondering like, hey, I ran into this issue or hey, I'm not quite sure how to, you know, actually create my first table in my Coda doc. Like they had lots of just very, very specific kind of product uh, questions that, you know, our sales team was just trying to trying to create an opportunity, trying to like get them through the sales funnel. And it just was a complete mismatch. There were kind of two, two main failures of that one. I mean, first one being that we were overwhelming our our sales folks, we were overwhelming our customers because they really didn't want to be on these sort of sales led conversations. And secondly, like our customers didn't, they didn't need this. They didn't want this. They still hadn't even had an opportunity to experience Coda and like build their first doc and see what Coda could do for them. And now we're just trying to like push them into uh, a sales evaluation. So those were sort of the that was our first iteration. And we quickly learned that model was was really not going to work. We also learned pretty quickly that we weren't just we really weren't utilizing our sort of sales team or like these our sort of human led motions here effectively because our team was talking to every single customer that signed up for Coda. Um, so we, it could have been someone who was using it for, you know, like a a, a small use case at work and. They had, you know, no intention of building out with their team. Um, it was like just to take their own kind of meeting notes or to-do list. Anywhere from, yeah, we did have, you know, a larger enterprise-sized company signing up. And they're, you know, they're like a, a product manager. And they're trying to look at building like a product roadmap. That is a great use case for us. But we were really just spread across all of our customer base. We really weren't segmenting our customers appropriately. And we weren't giving our team the opportunity to really spend time with customers that at the end of the day would be driving... Uh, more value, uh, longer term with us. So that was sort of our, our first iteration of like layering this this motion, and we quickly pivoted to much more of a sort of success led motion from this team, which was really hard because we had initially set up this team as being pretty you know sales focused. Okay, let's hear more about your timeline, what you're looking to evaluate Coda for, and uh, really turning it into okay, how can this team actually help our customers drive more value and do so in a manner that actually allows us to scale our efforts longer term and not have to rely on this human band-aid longer term. So it's a very big pivot for all of us in and the team. But uh I don't know. That was that was sort of iteration one. Uh and we slowly learned, all right, we got to pivot this into more of a success led motion and one where we feel we can actually get greater value as an organization, um, spend our, you know, our human time wisely and use it in a way that's actually gonna be more cost efficient longer term.
0: That's a lot uh to unpack there. Thanks for sharing this and, and and thank you for being you know uh, constructive about it it's so hard for people to admit to I'll, I'll say iterations that didn't work because failure is just so negative iterations that didn't work so thanks for all the detail there's there are a couple of things that I that you mentioned that I I'd like to ask a little bit more about so you you mentioned that in the experience people were fo- almost forced they, they really had to talk to a human what was the experience like what for the users?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, anyone could sign up for for Coda, like that. That was that's still an option. That's absolutely an option for them to do. But we we pretty much put like a contact sales button in every po- possible place we could on on the website within product, within all of our emails that we were sending to them as they were onboarding. And again, the messaging. And then we had humans doing individual outreach as well to everyone who had signed up. But again, this very like call to action of talk to sales contact sales, speak to sales, and that was really not what our customers needed at the time. So kind of throwing that big big button, the big call to action right kind of in front of them as soon as they signed up was pretty it was the wrong message. They didn't want to they didn't want that message initially.
0: Oh, okay. So it's not like you were gating, but you were right, being yeah. very like yeah. driving people towards that. Exactly. You also mentioned that customers were feeling overwhelmed with all of this. Do you remember when you realized this and what data points or observations led you to conclude that, that customers were overwhelmed with with all of this?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Obviously a, a, a positive of of what we did and kind of the learnings from it was that we were able to get direct customer feedback on these calls that our team was having, lots of Gong reviews, uh, lots of learning from from all of that. So. I'd say the the number one source was truly listening to Gong calls and also having the the team provide feedback from calls that they were having, which is you know something that we kind of heavily goal and and goal the team on now and we did then of ensuring that they're consistently providing feedback. So that was definitely the the number one way we heard all of this and just listening to customers and seeing them get really stuck in certain areas within the product, not conquer the basics of how to actually get started in Coda and. And really seeing that we were kind of pushing them into a funnel that they didn't need to be pushed into and they weren't quite ready for either. And so we were just missing all of these really critical steps. At the end of the day, we're preventing these customers from actually getting true value from Coda. And so longer term, you know, we were probably setting ourselves up for risk of churn and contraction because they're just they're not they they never actually saw the value in the first place. Kind of jumping ahead and it, it wasn't the right the right way we to do it.
0: Was there any out of that, did you also got some learnings for the the product team to improve on or no?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh so many learnings from the product team of where our customers were getting tripped up the most. Um, and that has absolutely helped kind of propel propel the product team and their roadmap and and what they're pri- what they're prioritizing and what they're kind of continuing to prioritize. That's always been A big one for us. The other area it helped us uncover was, which now in in the beginning of this year, I kind of took on to to lead this team is realizing that we didn't have like self-serve, self-help resources for our customers to help them solve a lot of these challenges they were experiencing on their own. And it wasn't that, you know, we didn't necessarily have all the content. We also just didn't have the content in the right places. Um, and so our customers, when they would get stuck in Coda, trying to build a table and a formula, as an example, they didn't know where to go to like learn how to fix the formula or learn how to build a formula in the right format in the first place. And so we, we learned as well, just through all the conversations we had, even our support interactions, support always having to direct customers to a certain video on our YouTube page or a specific Help Center article that they weren't discovering on their own. Um, they just, we didn't have the resources in the right places so they could easily discover them. We didn't have them surface to them in the right moments when they were hitting various sort of hiccups within the product. And we absolutely were missing this sort of curation of content where we had, you know, longer guides and longer like workbooks for customers. It was very scattered. So that was a huge learning as well. And again, that has helped us, you know, prioritize what we're focused on this year and, and some of the efforts I've been more involved in is a lot of this kind of self-serve content, self-serve education, curation, and discoverability of it for our customers.
0: Wow, that's uh, so cool that you're able to focus on pure value for that. We already told people that there were three iterations of this. So uh, we'll go through the next two. So how, how did you improve on the first iteration?
1: Yes. Uh, so the first moving from the first to the second was definitely a very big jump. Again, there was just the we we'd set the team up in a certain way. We'd gold them a certain way. We were pretty much been doing a very hard pivot and saying, hey, we're we're going to be really shifting this role. It's not going to be sort of sale traditional sales led. It's going to be much more success led. And really, the goal of this team is unblocking our customers from experiencing any friction that they're running into. Uh, that's preventing them from really getting value out of Coda. And so the second iteration was reorienting the team around uh, really helping our customers uh, get activated and adopt more and use more of Coda. So we kind of have this, this first phase of let's make sure we, we get them onboarded into Coda. And now let's make sure we're helping them drive more value out of Coda. And that can mean new use cases. That can mean new teams that are adopting Coda. That can be just you know expanding their breadth of knowledge uh, within the product. So, so that's really where we we made that big shift. And that team, you know, that serves that second iteration was great. We ended up setting up the team so they're t- taking onboarding calls with certain customers. They were running onboarding webinars. These kind of like group trainings with certain customers. Um, really engaging with customers when they would hit certain uh, thresholds within the product or take certain actions within the product that. We felt would help us drive more usage longer term. So we, we set up a lot of these sort of various signals within these accounts, so we could see what our users were doing, how they were engaging within the product, and then we would engage in those moments to help drive more usage. Not to drive more revenue, not to to you know to push them to an upgrade, but to to get more usage. The challenge we ran into pretty quickly was that we kind of took a stab at. How we were looking at orienting the team around certain types of customer accounts. And we definitely uh, had that. The bucket they were engaging with was way too big to where the point where the team got very overwhelmed very quickly, uh, similar to the first iteration. But again, you know, we had narrowed down our our segment of saying, all right, the team is going to focus on this subset of customers really based on several different factors. It was like time in the product. Obviously, some things like company size, uh, I mean, just how engaged other users were within the product. So we had some parameters there, but it was it was very it was a very big bucket. And we had a small team of four. So team got overwhelmed very quickly. The same time, uh, especially in retrospect, you know, we had the team engaging with customers that probably didn't really need our guidance or assistance or help. And we probably could have served them in more of like a self-serve manner, served them up uh, you know, certain help center articles or some guides or a recorded demo. Um, but, you know, we have the team meeting meeting with them uh one to one. And, you know, over time again, when you're just thinking about, okay, how many people do I have on the team? How can I best utilize the resources I have, you know, we want to we were putting them in front of, you know, some customers where we felt it, it probably wasn't driving the most return on their on our investment of them, you know, longer term. So we had to really think about how we now solve that that problem.
0: Wow. And um I, I guess same same question as as before. How did you go about segmenting and finding the right users to talk to? Because it, it feels like it was a big part of it or a big part of the challenge. So how did you like what metrics, what what approaches did you use to to go about that?
1: Definitely. So first things first was you know partnering really close with like your equivalent of your data science team. We have a great data science team, and so they're doing all of the mining um, within our customer install base to see really see some trends in, in terms of okay, what are the accounts that are converting the most within our segment? What are the accounts? What are the types of use cases that are converting the most within our segment? Uh, what are the certain sort of activation thresholds that accounts are hitting that we then see, you know, longer term revenue kind of jump from. So, so some of these specific metrics, one of them is that like, you know, one of our activation metrics, if we get, you know, customers activation metric, they're going to convert at a higher rate, they're going to spend more money with us longer term, like that was a non-negotiable. That's something we we want to make sure that we're driving our accounts towards. Also, then looking at, okay, what are the types of customers within the business segment? How much are they spending? So kind of breaking it down, probably by a traditional like SMB, Commercial, enterprise, or you know, however you you name it, out your your organization, but looking at employee count and company size, um, and seeing who is spending the most who is not activating or engaging, but has larger revenue potential So, kind of like, where are the gaps that we need to fill here? And so, yeah, again, partnered really close with our data team, but but took a lot of various metrics, all oriented around looking at revenue within the business and how we could drive more accounts to be successful like these other accounts that, you know, had been spending money with us.
0: Cool. So you talked about the, the, the challenge of this iteration. What about the, the results? I don't know that we talked about results of the first one, but it, what the results of, of this? Like, I'm, I'm sure you've observed some improvements in some metrics, or maybe, or maybe not, but I'd love to dig in.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it was... Pretty early on, we learned that this was definitely the right motion for our customers. Like, this is what they needed. They didn't need to be sold to. They needed to be unblocked from experiencing value from the product. So, uh, I mean, I think I can even think of a handful of, of customers that, you know, I even worked closely with along with my team. And looking at them now, like one of them, as an example, you know, I will. I won't show the name, but one of them as an example, they came to Coda and they wanted to build their business on Coda, which a lot of our customers you know, want to do. They want to build out their OKR okay hub. They want to build out their project tracking, their, their meeting notes. And they had so much intention of building on Coda. They were really struggling to get started. They couldn't learn Coda very quickly. They were really, really having a hard time. And we had one of our, our coaches, they're called the, the Coaches Team, is a sort of success led team. One of our coaches engaged with them early on, helped them really learn the the sort of fundamentals of Coda the best way to structure their docs, to structure their workspace, to actually roll out Coda within the organization. And now they've spent so much, like much more money with us. They expanded pretty quickly with us. Um, But at the same time, they're a huge Coda fanatic. I think they're on their third or fourth use case right now within the organization. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so great to see organizations like really see the value and get the value and feel the value from Coda. And again, we just had our team really help unblock them because they were, they were just in a stage where they were stuck. And it was very easy for them to to say, "Oh, this is too difficult. We're going to pivot away and 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 do something else." And instead, we were just really able to remove that barrier and, and propel them forward. So we absolutely saw uh, some some great expansion opportunities that came from a lot of the efforts of the team. Again, all from just driving more usage, getting our customers to you know feel like they. They were empowered to go learn more of Coda, to go implement that next use case, to go champion Coda within the organization. And and that's really what what helped. Again, we weren't, you know, trying to sell sell them into like the next tier or any upgrades. We weren't trying to get them to necessarily like add more makers. We were just trying to get them to really uh feel like they they could see success with Coda. They could see the vision. And then they were empowered to go do that on their own. We weren't doing it for them, which I think is also a really important distinction.
0: Yeah. I've seen this focus on value is sometimes, where are you getting pressure like from, you know, to, to make money, right? This is a bet. Focusing on value is a bet. It takes a little while before you see the results. I wonder... If you at at with dime felt that pressure that and, and how did you deal with it?
1: yeah, that's a that's a great question. I um, absolutely you know I had a, a revenue target that you know is obviously just dangling over my head. It was definitely difficult and you are taking this a bet and it's kind of a slow and steady race as well. One thing that helped a lot is I ended up rolling out a the time it was weekly now I've moved it to bi-weekly it's basically like a business summary that I send out to the the whole company but in particular highlight it for, executive team. And it highlights not only where we are in the business as it relates to our metrics, but lots of stories. So we would have our coaches team um, share stories that they were of, of of their engagements with customers. We'd have gong snippets of certain engagements with customers you know, here's this customer, here's how we unblocked them. Here's the 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 gong snippet of, of us unblocking them. Here's what they've done since that engagement. They've, you know, they have expanded and they've added XYZ, you know, ARR, they've added, you know, 10 makers, whatever it might be. And so Stories was very helpful just sharing these these little wins. Um, because again, you know, we're working with a subset of customers. So you can you only kind of get little tastes here and there but by showing how we were providing value for these customers and then there were revenue related results that at the end of it was um was super helpful and not all revenue related even like some of the the great wins of oh then they go they we had this champion and then they went and talked to their you know their cto and now their cto is getting really excited about potentially implementing coda with their organization like Even just those stories were really powerful um, to share. So I do recommend having some sort of outlet where you can share learnings, you can share wins. You can share challenges and how you're facing those challenges and just kind of create that transparency within the organization.
0: Yeah, I love that ritual because it sounds like it really provides the insights to other areas of the organization and and also allows you to celebrate some quick wins and, uh, and so creates momentum, motivation and support, which is crucial when you're running the marathon there. Were there any like two or three big learnings from this iteration that you can summarize like just so we can wrap up this this part?
1: Yeah. First learning was absolutely like our customers absolutely need to be sort of supported in in a way that allows them to get more value out of the product. They do not need to be sold to pushed to a tier, pushed to convert. So we we kind of confirmed a, you know, an assumption there based off of learnings in the iteration, first iteration. The second big one was We really need to utilize our human team as efficiently and effectively as we can, and we need to be very intentional about where they spend their time um, to ensure that we're not only getting the best return on them, but we're also ensuring that you know, longer term, the customers they're spending time with are going to be those customers that eventually we can grow and grow into a potential enterprise customer again, longer term. But that we want to make sure we have have a funnel um, from our business segment up into our enterprise sales segment. And so that was the the big learning that goes into iteration three. All right. Let's talk
0: about that. And what happened there?
1: Yes. So um, third iteration. So we felt like we had a really good foundation for the motions the team was running, what they're trying to drive within these customer accounts, which was great. However, definitely needed to kind of reorient them to a, a different sort of segment of customers just to ensure that they were spending time with these customers again, that we we really felt we could we could grow and, and we had sort of a high a high ceiling. So again, we, we did a lot of kind of deep dives into the data to to figure out, okay, now whereas in the previous iteration we had looked at just the business segment itself and the customers that were spending money in that business segment that were growing within that business segment. We weren't looking at customers kind of beyond that business segment. And we do have sort of two segments at Coda where we do have our sort of enterprise sales segment. We have kind of a more PLG segment. And so looking at what are the customers that have made it kind of across that threshold to move into that enterprise tier? And what are the characteristics of those types of customers Not only from kind of like a a, a firmographic standpoint, but even from a usage standpoint, what are the trends we're seeing in those accounts that do move up into the enterprise plan? And so we were reorienting around looking ahead at at enterprise versus just focusing still within our business segment that had not necessarily graduated. So that's how we ended up reorienting the team a bit. So they're they're focused on a more select subset that. We feel we can grow um, over time and potentially move into to being enterprise ready.
0: Yeah, makes total sense. So you would segment based on potential of the organization and then offer premium service to them. Not that the others would, would be underserved, but it would be a little bit less proactive and more proactive eye touch towards the end. Exactly, yeah. This is great. So this was all, I'm assuming, actually, we haven't talked about this before, but this was all post product market fit, right? That you had reached that point. Yes. Yes, definitely. Which which leads me to the next question. So what would you recommend as a playbook for companies that are trying to layer sales motion on top of their self-serve user base? Let's maybe assume they have got to a point where there's product market fit and that if you... If you have ideas or thoughts for those that didn't, there are some listeners out there that did not yet have achieved product market fit. And it may be, may be interesting to get that, that perspective from you.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, it'll probably depend on where you are, if you already have it, an existing kind of sales or sales assist team, or if you're you're starting from scratch. Um, I'd say, you know, the first thing is really identifying what you're trying to drive from your customer base is going to be really important. So like what are what are the outcomes you're trying to drive and why are those the outcomes you're trying to drive and then figure out, OK, now we know what we're trying to drive. Well, who are the types of customers that we want to engage with where we want to be driving this? Um, and we really feel that having our human led team is is going to be, you know, in front of these customers to, to do that. So as an example, at Coda, we you know, we've we've been able to determine what the milestones are within our sort of customer journey of we want to get them to this activation milestones. We want to get them to this expansion milestones. And then now, as I just talked about sort of third iteration, we know the types of customers we want to be engaging with and we want to make sure we're getting them through these milestones. So get very clear on, on, on what you're trying to drive. I don't think you can just start if you don't have any intention and like what your team's actually doing and what they're going to go drive and then, you know, really determine the the types of accounts you want them to focus on. And I think if you're starting out just from the very beginning, I think just talk to talk to as many customers as you can. I do think there's so much value in just talking to customers and and learning very quickly the types of customers that are engaging with your product, what they're doing with your product. But I but I do that with the intention of, you know, having a, a goal that you know, within within even just a few months of, of these conversations of being able to identify, okay, what are the, the trends we're seeing of the accounts where we feel like there's more growth potential and versus less growth potential and you can start to get to that that sweet spot if you have uh like I said a data science team or something like that, obviously I'd utilize them as well. But you just start to learn, okay, and narrow in on the the types of accounts where you feel like there's this this more growth potential than others. And then once you have identified the outcomes you're trying to drive, the accounts you're trying to focus on, I mean, definitely implementing that first playbook is going to be really critical. And what we have set up on our end here is we kind of split the motions into two. So we have our sort of reactive, our scaled plays, and we have our more proactive manual plays that the team runs. And we have a funnel so we really start out with everything being proactive and manual so our team will craft the messaging they'll send the outreach they'll try and engage with customers and and meet with them uh one-on-one and then we learn okay is this messaging resonating well it are the types of customers in, in this stage, You know, are these the types of customers that, that they are getting value out of Coda? We are helping drive more, more value out of Coda. And then basically what's working, let's go scale those into what I call sort of reactive plays where now based off of what customers are doing in the product, uh, these plays will just run on their own. So now we don't have the team manually doing the outreach. Now they're hitting a, a trigger signal, right? And we have that outreach going on the back end. so we can scale it to more customers. And then the next step in that funnel is you know, okay, we, we started with proactive to kind of experiment, we're scaling it to ensure that we can reach more customers are getting more value. And then the third piece is how do we actually go build this into the product? Um, So now how do we actually go serve customers, and they never need to talk to a human, they never need access a resource, like now we're creating the, the building experience around what we're what we've learned just engaging with them. So it's kind of this funnel we've, we've created there. But obviously, if you're just getting started, start with those proactive plays, got very experimental, and listen to your customers, listen to what they need, what they want, and and then you can kind of scale
0: from there. Very cool. So what I heard here, let me, let me play that back to see if I can summarize it. Fundamental to all of this is having a sense of what are the success milestones a customer goes through. It, it can be qualitative, or it can be more sophisticated if you have a, da- a data science team. And then C- continuously validate those milestones, first starting to be, you know, very manual, very proactive. And then once you see patterns, automate those patterns and, and give back some hours of the team to continue to, to push forward on other things. I guess an oversimplified version of what you said there, but I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything.
1: Yeah, no, it's exactly right. Um, I think it's a good way to, again, test some things out, and then see what's what's actually sticking, right? And what's actually, what's actually driving customers for these milestones, and then you go scale it, and then you can go build that into the product. And when I say scale it to, you know, obviously you don't wanna run into a situation where you're scaling this, these messaging and you're just driving more meetings for your team. What I mean by scaling is you're now, uh, you know, maybe you're building more on-demand content that's gonna be satisfying these customers in the way that your team was satisfying them when they were having one-on-one meetings. If you're building more guides or courses, more webinars, right? So more of this, this like one-to-many approach where your customers can either read something, do something, attend something. It's not a one-on-one conversation with, you know, your team. Because again, you want to make sure you're, you're using their time
0: effectively too. Cool. So one, one question, as you went through this evolution of the way your team works, did your product-led stack of tools also evolve. So what, what were you using at the beginning and what tools were you adding on to help out?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'd say at the beginning, i they were we're still using Probably all the tools we we had at the beginning. And I will I will throw it out there that a lot of the the iterations we've made over time have actually we've done them in a coda doc because it's just easy. It's an easy tool for us. Well, it's easy tool for us to use, but it's very easy for for us to iterate on something that's in a coda doc and we can use our packs and integrations and really kind of you can quickly change a workflow, you can change a playbook, you can change all of that in a coda doc. So I think Coda was very helpful. Our own product is very helpful in us, like allowing us to be very flexible and make changes very quickly. But you know, we have a, a sales engagement tool. We use Outreach as an example. We have like a growth marketing tool um, for more kind of like scaled outreach, is like Breeze. So I wouldn't say we we added we added new tools. We we definitely honed in on you know a lot of our sort of like product usage data. But again, we pulled that all into into Coda. So it was it was definitely nice to be able to manipulate the data as we wanted to just using integrations within a doc we we had
0: nice that would be an interesting uh, follow-up episode how to use Coda or product-led growth people i'd love to know more so now with, with all of this what does your team look like today and if you can get into how you structure objectives and incentives that would be that would be helpful
1: yeah yeah so we started out, I had a team, sort of that the, the four sales-focused team, and then we moved into a, a sort of success-led team. Uh, we still had a group of about four for that success-led team. Um, so you kind of see how it's evolving from sales and where I'm success-led. And then as we've learned what our customers need and what we need to go scale, now uh, my team Today I have that sort of success-led team under me, but I also have this self-serve learning and support team under me. And so again, when I was talking about you know learn what what your customers need to be successful, go scale that. Um, we've actually built out a whole team de- solely dedicated to building out guides for our customers, on-demand content for our customers, making sure we have a really robust help center, um, and we're continuing to to sort of iterate on those processes. Um, so it really did you know open up this this sort of another chapter where we we identified a, a big gap that we wanted to fill for our customers and helps us go scale. So now I oversee kind of those skilled assets and the efforts there. And then it still have the, the success-led team um, under me as well. And in terms of objectives and, and incentives for our success-led team, definitely pivoted when we moved from the sales focus to, to be more success-focused. We incentivize them. Primarily, they have, based off of what they're driving within these accounts, so we have specific what do you call like checkboxes for them to hit within accounts that they're engaging with that uh, basically designates them as like, you you know, we've really gotten this account to see value. We've driven a lot of usage out of them. And of course, it's going to be different for every account. But when we're looking at the accounts, we're trying to drive sort of this usage into up into um, enterprise, we sort of have these these criteria that they're trying to do. So it's very clear, OK, what you're trying to drive in these accounts, you have about like four check boxes for them to to focus on and in addition we're really big on feedback so making sure that on a weekly basis you know we're getting feedback from everyone on the team and that could be a form of you know a, a video snippet it could be in the form of email exchanges uh, a little summary but we have a sort of uh, we actually just rolled out a new feedback mechanism um, for them to submit feedback it, it basically pulls pulls into a coded doc but also pulls into Slack. And then our PLG team can review that feedback on a monthly basis. And we actually then go implement that feedback, you know, depending on what we get into changes we make to the product and the changes we make from a growth marketing standpoint. Um, so the feedback loop is is super critical and something that we hold the team on as well.
0: I love that. I am um, very keen on, on listening to users and acting on them and consolidating all information and whatnot. So that's very good so well this is the end of the episode i'd really like to thank you for joining us today and uh, for opening up to all of the bumps and also successes of the team so thank you very much uh carrie it was a blast
1: yeah thank you so much for having me great
0: thank you for listening to the product-led podcast if you found this episode helpful Please share it with a colleague or friends, you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens. So we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please
1: share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this
0: podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.